0: Amen. Satan hates it when his lies are exposed, and so it's good news today that his have been exposed in Taylor's life, and the good news of Jesus has been lifted up, so it's awesome. If you have your Bibles, please grab them. We're going we're gonna to start off today in Genesis 1. Uh, my hope for the next six weeks, as I briefly shared earlier, is to really help us all understand why we are as Church of the Ward. Um, A lot of us may have heard, like, oh, what are these dinners that we go to? Or what are these uh, DNAs? And there's all this, like, lingo that's associated with Church of the Ward. And I remember listening to a CBC broadcast recently, and it was about minimalism and minimalistic lifestyles. And this guy came on, and he expressed his frustration with minimalism, and he said, all the time people, they all know how we're to be minimalist, like sell your extra couch or like live simply. He's like, but nobody knows the why of why we're minimalist. And I was like, that's exactly how I feel about our missional community sometimes. We get the how, we get the, we're eating dinner with each other and we're having Bible study, but the big why of what we do is sometimes missed. So today is going to be a little bit theological, but I'm going to take the theology of what the Bible says, and I'm going to make it applicable to how it works for us, and then I'm just going to play out three questions, what does this mean for you and for me? What does this mean for our missional communities? And then what does this mean for our larger church? So if you have your Bibles, we study the Bible every single week. I do not get up and focus on another book that a faulty human being has written. We focus on the Word of God. A lot of people often say, I'm just waiting for God to tell me something. And the first question I ask them is, have you read your Bible Uh, No. Well, he says a lot here, so maybe get what he says here first, and then we'll focus on maybe what you feel like he is and he isn't saying. God never contradicts himself. If you feel like God is saying something to you, but then it contradicts itself in the Bible, what you think he's saying to you is not correct. God does not contradict himself. We believe that God never changes. Okay, So it's not like what he says here and then what you feel like he's doing over here are the same things. And being part of a church is actually an opportunity for us to come into a church environment with a family of people that will help us oftentimes figure out why and how we are to do things. Uh, That's what a family does. If you feel like you're called into ministry, you shouldn't go figure out that call alone. You should get involved in a church family and practice those ministry gifts in the church family and help the church family walk with you and discern with you whether or not that's where you should be. All right? So that's what we believe uh, initially about the church, about the Bible, and this is like we study this. Uh, we've been doing this series in the book of Mark since January. We're at chapter 6. We have to still go a long ways, and we'll maybe be in there for another uh, year, who knows, or longer. Uh, but we wanted to take this six-week break to really focus on, so you all know, because there's a lot of people that joined us since a year ago, and so we just want to do that. So Genesis 1, uh, verse 26 to 28. This is the creation account um, as given to us by God's Word. And I'm going to start at 26, where he starts laying out uh, for people uh, what his desire is for them. We all lot go back to Genesis because this is what God's original design and intent was for our world. So if we want to know what his intent is for us now, we got to go to Genesis 1 and 2. So this is what God says. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Notice as he says, our plurality, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, an our likeness. This is why we are different from every other created thing. We are created in the image of God And he says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This word dominion in other places, the uh, Hebrew word here uh, is referring to uh, partnering with God and taking the world somewhere, taking the world forward. This is not a domineering force of you are animals and we will kill every single one of you. This is not we are going to abuse the planet that we are created in. This is the God-given mandate to care for the world in which I have placed you, participate in its restoration. So God created man in his own image. Beautiful. in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then this is what God does. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion. There's that word again, rule. Partner with God in taking the world forward. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth." God bless them. Now, what God does here is he gives us dominion, rule, partner with him, and he gives us three tasks or three ways in which we are to partner with him in this. Number one is be fruitful, which is basically have sex with your spouse. We love the Bible. It teaches have sex with your spouse. Be fruitful. He then says increase in number, which is multiply, have babies. Built into the DNA of who we are is the desire and ability to multiply to have children to increase and fill the earth and he says fill the earth which is spread out and make more men and women this is the theology of multiplication built into our dna from the very beginning is the human desire to go out and to multiply this is why it's so hard uh, when folks cannot have children it's so devastating Because we have the innate desire within us to multiply, to spread out. Now, as we all know, Genesis 1 and 2 isn't the way things are now. Because what happened? Genesis 3, the fall. As some people have called it, the great disruption. And everything that God created is now tainted by sin. Everything. Now we have diseases. Now we have sickness. Now we have fighting. Now we have killing. Now we have death. We have selfishness, we have pride, we have arrogance, we have sexual immorality. Everything changes. And from Genesis 3 to 10, man spreads out, but so does sin. So let's go to Genesis 11, which is where I want to pick it up uh, with what then happens. Okay, So we start with this theology of multiplication, spreading out, filling the earth, innate within us. Let's see what humanity does with it. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, notice what they're doing. They're moving, they're multiplying, they're spreading out. They move from the east. They found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. This is present day Iraq, Afghanistan, that area. Uh, they found a plain, which is a flat area in the land of Shinar, a desirable place to build a city, because it's a plain. You don't want to really build a city on lots of rocky and mountains. The ideal place to build a city from the ground up is going to be a plain. So they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and looks what it says, and they settled there. So built into the DNA of who we are is the desire to multiply, to spread out, and fill the earth. But sin has entered, and it doesn't say it explicitly in the text, but I would say it's implicit that humanity wants to settle because of sin. We don't want to keep multiplying. We don't want to keep filling the earth. If we find something comfortable, flat, we want to settle. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. This is basically a new technology of the day. Bricks, mortar, New creation, technology. Isn't it interesting that a new technology came into place and they wanted to use it for their own glory? Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and tower with its tops in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed or scattered over the face of the whole earth. We don't want to now be scattered. We want to settle in the plain and make a name for ourselves. And the Lord came down to see the city, which is really uh, the writer's kind of humor. God's there all along. Let's just see what God has to say about this. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. They won't see their need for me if they continue to settle. Come, let us trinitarian go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech so the lord the next word what are your what does your version say dispersed what's another one scattered Scattered them from there over the face of all the earth returning them to what they should be doing and they left off building the city Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed or scattered them over the face of all the earth. In God's creation, in Genesis 1, he says, Multiply, fill the earth, enter sin, the desire to settle. Oh, guys, I'm a bit smarter than you. We're going to disperse you somewhere else. Now, let's fast forward to the New Testament. Matthew 28, uh, if you can go there with me, Matthew 28, uh, verses 18 to 20. This is the Great Commission, as some of us know it as. There's four Great Commissions in the Gospels. There's one in Matthew, which we will read. There is one in Mark, although his is a bit lost, so we have a little bit of a phrase at the end. Luke and or Luke's is actually found in Acts, which we will discover, and then John has, a, in essence, a Great Commission as well. Theologians and scholars believe that this is Jesus reworking what the command was in Genesis. Genesis 1. And this is what Jesus says. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even till the very end of the age. Notice what he says. Go. Do not stay, he says, "Go and make disciples. Let's go to Acts one. Uh, Acts, as I said, this is where Luke's version. Luke wrote the book of uh, Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts. There are actually two parts, uh, so you can't re- read Luke completely separate from the book of Acts, but let's go uh, to Acts 1 uh, verses six to eight. This is what Jesus, or this is what Luke's account of the Great Commission according to Jesus is. Sorry, if we were doing a sword drill, I'd be very slow right now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So we believe you're the son of God now, is what they're saying. But Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom the way that we thought our Messiah was going to? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God is commissioning them into Judea, into Samaria, into the ends of the earth. And then the following, the book of Acts, is separated exactly into that. Ministry in Judah, into Samaria. Into to the ends of the earth, which was for them kind of the Mesopotamian region uh, that we now know today. Now, the reason Jesus says this is because he's trying to assure them that even though I'm going away now, guys, it's not like I'm rewriting the fact that you still need to scatter. You are still is to be a scattered people. You're not to settle. We're still moving forward with this idea. Uh, let's go to Acts 2, 38 to 41, Peter is preaching the church at this point. is somewhere around 150 people, uh, church by, I mean, gathered people. Um, And Peter, on Pentecost, receives the Holy Spirit and begins preaching. And this is what happens. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice how it doesn't say you will receive the gift the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It says you will receive the gift that is the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So the church goes from about 150 to 3,000 very, very quickly. Now, some of these people would have gone back to their own countries. There was a lot of different languages, which is why the gift of tongues was given at this point. They go back to their countries. But this church now in Judea, in Jerusalem, has really taken off. 150 to 3,000. So what happens? Well, let's go to uh, Acts 4, verse 32 to 35. This is Uh, a beautiful picture of what this first church was like. It gives us a beautiful understanding. If you were with us a year ago, you'll know that we focused on this passage a lot. It says, And now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them, and they brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed at, as each had any need. This is the church in action. Uh, when we are trying to figure out what are we to look like as the church, we should go back to this and say people were selling their stuff to provide for the needs of other people. Like, this is more than just an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. This is a church family. They are part of one another's lives. So this church is healthy. We go to Acts 5.12 and on. It says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. This is a beautiful building, theater. This is their gathering space for what we would call the Sunday morning. They're gathering in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The Holy Spirit working through Peter to heal. We've seen God heal people in our church over this last year. Everything's going really well in this one place. And then in Acts 6, 7, we see, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to faith. Even the priests, the scribes, the leaders of those days, the religious leaders are coming into faith in Jesus Christ. This is a powerful church community, This is like what we should be kind of looking at and saying, if we desire to get anywhere, this is kind of the idea of what we would love to look like as according to God's word. But there's one problem with this church. And the one problem is they're all in Jerusalem. They were supposed to scatter. But they'd all stopped in one place. The desire in the human heart at that point was to settle. Now, what's interesting about this, it was probably like a really good spot to be. There was probably the gathering at Solomon's portico was probably awesome. They had Peter teaching them. Peter was teaching them. The guy who first denied Jesus three times and then repented of that and is now being used by God. They're listening to Peter teach and then they're listening to other teachers teach. It's an amazing place to be. Why would we want to go anywhere else? We can sit here and we can settle and it's comfortable. But let's go forward. Acts 8. Verses 1, to 8 says this. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And the words are this. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Samaria, except the apostles. Persecution starts coming against the church. And what does it do? It scatters the people. Except the apostles. Verse 2 tells us devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. That's not the end of the story. Verse 4. Now, those who were scattered, these are not the apostles. These are regular, everyday followers of Jesus. It's not people like me who preach and who lead this church. These are average, everyday people. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samarica and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said. Um, by Philip, when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. What we see here is that the church scatters. Now, through persecution, the scattering comes. But does the church stop because they're no longer meeting in this one place? No. No. Of course not. It says that more than ever, believers were coming to know Jesus as regular, everyday followers of Jesus were being scattered into their homes, into their cities, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's incredible. Up to that point, this is, this is like the opposite way that we think of church planting. Church planting is typically we got our leader, and then we'll have the people come and follow him. This was completely different. Apostles had to stay behind. People went out and planted churches. So the hands, the power was taken out of the hands of a select few and given to the multitude and the majority. It's incredible. And we read that people are actually coming to know Jesus. So anybody that says, you need to have a solid service on Sunday morning or you need to have a gifted communicator share the word of Jesus with people for others to respond to Jesus Christ, they're out of their minds. Because the scriptures tell us that average everyday people can preach the gospel and to lead people to Jesus Christ. So if you've ever felt the opposite way, that's that's not the case. The scriptures tell us that. Now, The pattern in the scriptures from front to back is to scatter. And as I talked about, sin is what makes us want to settle, to stay. Now, as I said before, we're going to answer this in three ways. We're going to ask three questions. And so first of all, the first question we're going to answer is, what does this mean for you and for me? And this is what I believe it is for you and for me. It means that every single day, we make the decision in our individual lives, are we going to settle for comfort Or are we going to scatter for the name of Jesus, even though that might be uncomfortable? You can choose to stay in one place. You can choose to stay comfortable. You can choose to just be part of the comfortable aspects of church, just the Sunday aspects, just the gathering. You can choose to be part of, well, I don't really want to get part of that because that's going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to have to change my lifestyle. Or you can face the decision to scatter and to be challenged by what scattering does to each and every single one of us. Now, at the one point in the scripture, specifically in Acts, we see persecution. And God allowed that, but here's what the truth is about God. God is willing to sacrifice our comfort for our good. And isn't that true as a parent, right? You're willing to sacrifice the comfort of your child for their good, right? If your kid says, I want all of this stuff, I want all this candy, you're going to say, no. No, of course not. That's not good for you. And sometimes God is willing to sacrifice our comfort for our good. And so each and every single day, we have the choice, am I going to settle to this comfortable, not living on the edge life, or am I going to scatter and it's going to be different? Now, this doesn't mean that I'm telling all of us that we got to go move to different places. What we believe truly at Church of the Ward is that some of us are just called to stay where we are, but live with intentionality with the people that live around us, the coworkers that you see every single day. Do they know that you are a follower of Jesus? The people that are going to be in your classes, if you're a student, for the rest of the semester, is there a reason you are in the same class as them? The place where you live, is there a reason, I believe there is, that you were placed in your house where it's located for a reason with the people that live around you? I believe the definition of parish is your geographical spiritual responsibility. That God has placed you there and has placed the people around you. We have people in this room today that came to know Jesus because people, through their home, opened it up to the people that lived around them. And we have a couple here. Both of them came to know Jesus because of that. And then another woman got reconnected with the church and so did her three kids and were praying for her husband. Isn't that awesome? Because someone said, I believe that my spiritual responsibility is the people that live around me. That's absolutely incredible. And that's what it means to scatter. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to move. It means often staying where you are and choosing to live a multiplication life and not a settling life. What does this mean for missional communities? Now, some of us are like, what the heck's a missional community? A missional community is really this. It's a group of people following Jesus together in a neighborhood. It's a group of people following Jesus together in a neighborhood. Uh, We love geography, but we're also kind of exploring what would it look like for just networks of relationships to be in a missional community. Like, let's say four Christians work at the exact same office building. What if those four Christians are called to live as a community together and be on mission there? Like, could that be a missional community? Of course it could. And then we talk about what it means for those people to be family, what that means for those people to be disciples of Jesus, and what that means for those people to be missionaries there to be involved in active service. Now, missional communities is our vision for the church. And as I said, it's just a community of people doing life together. Now, why this is important and the problem with the typical understanding of church is an hour and a half on a Sunday. So the problem with that is a couple of reasons. One, it puts the work of the church into the hands of a few. At the end of today, uh, there would have been, well, I'm leading The majority of this time this morning. Typically we have other people, but maybe a couple of us, if you count Taylor and I, participated in this service this morning. So if church is just an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, then it takes the power out of your hands and completely just puts them into the hands of a select few. And the other problem, it's a gospel problem. And the reason it's a gospel problem is because Jesus did not come and die for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning if that was the extent of why Jesus came to the earth, lived, and then died so that we could put on hour and a half services on a Sunday morning that entertain people, then he probably was not thinking clearly. Jesus came for more than that. He came for his church. He came for his kingdom that was to be established. And when we see Jesus as our king, we see ourselves as part of his kingdom and we want to follow our king wherever he leads us. And that just doesn't happen for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. And so when people say, I really love that church, what they typically mean is I love their hour and a half on a Sunday morning. And we will not be known at Church of the Word for the hour and a half that we spend together on Sundays. We will be known for our missional communities that are on mission every single week in their neighborhood. And we want to support these missional communities as they live in intentionality. This is what we are all about. So to kind of put this in a bit of like an understanding, this is kind of like the organizational chart of Church of the Ward. At the center is the missional community who are loving, serving, and sharing the gospel, and they're living as a family of missionary disciples. This is the core sphere of who we are. And then the weekend gathering is kind of the offshoot. Some people are going to come to the weekend gathering the very first time they come into Church of the Ward. Some people are going to come through the lens of the missional community. But the desire is to push everybody into a missional community, which, as we define, is that we are the family of God on the mission of God, making disciples of Jesus. So the three core identities to a missional community is one, that you're a family, which means you're going to eat, Pray for one another and share life. You're missionaries that you're loving, serving, and sharing the gospel. So we're not just a church of potluck dinners, but we're a church that expresses and shares the gospel with people. And then we're disciples who are praying, studying scripture, and taking action. This is at the heart of who we are. And so if you this morning if Sunday has only been the only dynamic to what you've ever understood as the church understand that the church is far more than an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. Church is a family doing all of life together, following Jesus and trying to bring other people into this family. So here's the desire long term for Church of the Ward. I don't ever want to be broadcasted on a TV screen to multiple locations. I don't think that's helpful to the local church to train their own men to teach the Word of God. I don't think it can be as effective as far as large groups of people in one place feeling community. So the desire is that when this gathering grows to about 200, 250 people, we're probably not going to be able to fit in here anymore, one. But then hopefully there's a group of people coming from another section of the city that we can say, you guys start your own reunion on Sunday mornings. We'll commission a pastor elder there, and then he leads that area. And then long term, maybe every eight or nine weeks, all of these different reunions will get together in one place, celebrate Jesus, and then commission each other back out into the city. That's the heart and mission of Church of the Ward. As I said, we don't want to like outgrow this place, so we've got to go get a bigger one to then go get a bigger one to the point of then buying a building. I've said this from the very beginning. Buying a building will only happen if it's being used seven days of the week outside of our reunions on Sunday morning. I don't want the main funding of our church towards going towards a building I don't want to take 30 or 40% of our budget and put it towards a building if we don't need it because the moment you put ministry in a building, you take it out of your homes, which I believe is where God's called you to do ministry and mission. And it's all throughout the scriptures. So that's the long-term plan of Church of the War. There are 120,000 plus people living in the city of Guelph and that number is only going to explode even more over the next five to 10 years. My heart is to see every one of those people a part of the church. And not necessarily this one. There's lots of churches across our city, but each and every single one of those people expressing the name of Jesus Christ as their king and as their savior. And we will not stop as a church until every person in this city has heard the name of Jesus accurately. I mean that. So you're going to constantly hear me talking about inviting people to your missional communities, inviting people if they might be feel more comfortable coming to a Sunday morning format first, Fine but we were not saved so we could just sit here and settle. We were saved so that we would scatter and multiply as the people of God across our city. There are other churches that think odd things about us. They're like, that doesn't seem very effective because they think we just put on one big community event all year. So some churches ask me, they say, hey, what about, uh, how can we like raise some stuff for you? And I'll say, well, hot dogs and hamburgers would be really good. What do you mean? I said, well, we want to see all of our missional community having block parties fairly regularly. So if you donate hamburgers and hot dogs and stuff like that, we could then like fund our block parties with the hot dogs and hamburgers. And they get confused because we don't want to be the church that does the one big thing. We want to be like, if you think of it as a military analogy, taking the ground like this. CJ knows what all of what I'm talking about, our beautiful veteran back there. But we want to take the ground by short bursts in neighborhoods. Because guess what, guys? We're not in the business of making converts. We're in the business of making disciples. And this is what Jesus said. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He said that, okay? So we got to stop. If any of us have ever had the feeling of, like, I want to build this church, you got to repent and confess, Because we don't build the church. We make disciples of Jesus. Go make disciples. If you have been impacted by the name of Jesus and confess him as your Lord, it's now your responsibility to take that good news to the people that God has already placed around you. Your neighbors, your workmates, the folks on your street. The best response that I ever get from people about Church of the Ward is not, um, tell me when I can come serve your neighborhood. It's, so you're telling me the best thing that I can do is invite my neighbors over for dinner? Yes. Invite your neighbors over for dinner. Love them. Like, I mean, it's not complicated. Like, people that don't love Jesus get this better than we do. But suddenly when we become Christians, we get all, like, scary of our neighbors. Love them. Because you've been loved with a love that's far greater than any love that you could ever express to them. So love them. Invite them over for dinner. Shovel their driveway. Go to the same coffee shops every day. Run into the same people. Start asking people questions in class around you. Sit with the same people in class every single time you go to class. Build relationships with people. And then as your relationship builds and grows, you'll then get the opportunity, as God will give it to you, to share the gospel with their life. Because if you're truly living as a Christian, your life will end up being a little bit questionable. And we are to be people that respond to questions of a questionable life. So what does this mean um, for the whole church Well, as I've already said, we want to be a multiplying church. We can't get big in one place. I don't think that would be effective. Like, some of us can walk here. I love the idea of being able to walk to your local gathering. Now, hear me when I say this. We are not a scattered-only church, but we are also a gathered church. Um, typically when it comes to, and this is going to go beyond some of what you guys are regularly daily thinking about, but in the study of the church, which is the theological word, ecclesiology, there's a lot of conversation about scattering and gathering. And a lot of people have gone to either pendulum swing that we're only going to be a scattered church, so we're never going to gather on the weekends. And then other folks go to the pendulum swing of we're only going to be a gathered church. We believe in the both and We believe in the power of what God does through a community of people when we're gathered, and we believe in what God can only do through the power of the scattered. He does different things in different places, and so we need both. So for example, this sort of format where we have a little bit more formal teaching about who we are, as we've experienced, doesn't always work the best around a table of potluck dinners. Kids are everywhere. Things are going crazy. And so we see the value. And a lot of us are new believers or don't know who Jesus is. So experiencing regular teaching as far as theology about what we believe, about why we believe it, is critical. But then there's stuff that we can't do here that you can do in your homes. If the church remains as a gathering on a Sunday morning, the church in that model, I believe, will end. Because guess what? The people on my street... The first place they want to come is not here on a Sunday morning. The people that you are going to school with, this is the first place they probably don't want to come. But they'd probably be willing for you to say, hey, come over for dinner sometime with your family, and let's just hang out. Or, hey, with a group of people in our neighborhood, we have potluck community neighborhood dinners. Why don't you come over? Or, like, as we talked about with the university, what if we met every single week in the UC for dinner together, and we just saw the UC as, like, our mission field? Like, this is what Church of the Word is all about. It's putting the power where the power is supposed to be to the people and then letting you guys be the missionaries every single day. The church for so long, like, this is why I don't attend every potluck dinner. I don't need to be there. People have come to Jesus without me around. I'm called to be part of my missional community and I'll always be part of one. But I'm not called to be part of all of yours. You guys are. You're a family of missionary disciples. So we will multiply. We'll not get big in one place. We want to be a church that plants churches. The hope as of January um, is to bring on a younger person than me or older person, whoever God has for us, to be our next church planter. So you're like, you were only like a church for a year. Yeah, well, we want to plant more churches. Like when when we're ready to multiply somewhere else, we already want to have the trained person to go, I'm going to, God's calling me to go do that. So we want to bring on a church planting intern, somebody we're specifically investing in who's part of our congregation that one day could either plant with us or plant with another church so we see more churches planted. We're not going to be a church that just grows here, people. So if you're like, that's going to be uncomfortable like when there's more people around. Yes, it will, but don't worry because for not too much longer, they're going to multiply somewhere else. All right? So we can constantly leave room for newbies. And so we can constantly be welcoming people and have a really good family environment. There's some businesses and corporations out there that don't let their factories grow past 150 people because there's something about 150 that you can't do with more than 150. So it costs them more money in the short term as far as having different factories. Uh, gore tex is one of these. But it actually ends up being a better work environment for the 150. So this is the way that we desire to go. Uh, next thing is... MC multiplication, missional community multiplication. Your missional community will multiply when God wants it to multiply. Nobody here is forcing missional community multiplication. If You suddenly feel like, I'm going to go start a missional community. As Church of the Ward, we have now put together an understanding for people that want to lead missional communities, what that looks like. And part of that discernment is through with the elders of the church because we're not going to plant unhealthy missional communities. We just refuse to do that. We want to make sure that the leaders of those missional communities are wise. We want to make sure the leaders of those missional communities are ready for what's going to come. And we also want to make sure that we're going to be effective tools and that all of our missional communities don't look drastically different with different theology and different craziness because that is what happened, has happened in some missional community models. Next. Well, this is a call to obedience. And I'm, I'm wrapping it up in this last section, so don't, don't worry about timing-wise. But this is a call to obedience. Number one, prayer. Prayer. Um, couple of our missional communities and we 're encouraging all of our missional communities to daily prayer walk um, in our neighborhood. We prayer walk every single morning, Tuesday to Friday uh, from six fifteen in the morning till six forty five We continue to do it every single week, another neighborhood, the East City, they have prayer walking going on too. We believe that the, the core and the foundation of who we are is a people that prays, and so every single day. We're out there in the morning praying. You're welcome to join us whenever you want. If you feel like getting up early and spending the first half an hour of your day with Jesus, we'll be there um, praying with one another. It's an amazing time. Secondly, and prayer is, is, as I put it here, is simply a a level of, of obedience. Secondly, generosity. Okay, Church of the Ward is a church plant, which means we don't have an abundance of people as part of our church that can provide for the financial needs of our church. And so what that has meant for me, and this is where I put some of my time, probably about 20, 25% of my time, is fundraising for the needs of Church of the Ward. But there's a problem that comes with that. And that if our church simply becomes the recipient of generosity, but is never generous ourselves, then we're abusing what other people are giving. Does that make sense? What they end up doing is just enabling us and our people not to be generous. So at this point, Probably of our budget, we have an annual budget, and this is awesome, of about $85,000, all right? That is very low. Okay, and part of that goes to giving money away. A couple weeks ago, we gave away $5,000 to Muskoka Bible Conference Grounds for allowing us to take 30 kids from the ward neighborhood there um, for a week of camp, completely free for them. That was a $15,000 price tag. We supplied five of it. Muskoka Bible Conference Grounds raised another 10. So we're a generous church. We also want to give money away but we need people in our church to get serious about obeying Jesus in the area of tithing and generosity. Uh, in the Old Testament, the children of Israel had three tithes. So about 30% of their income had to go towards God's people and his mission. Now, Jesus comes. Old Testament laws fulfilled in him. Do you think the beauty of grace demands more of us or less of us? Probably more of us. Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. This is the first time I've ever actually talked about money and generosity in our church. And as we go through Mark, look out, because Jesus touches it a lot. We need to be a giving, generous church if we believe that the mission of our church is to go where God's calling us. And as I said, I will not, and I'm saying this now so you can hold me accountable to it, I will not ask other people to sacrifice giving themselves if we're not sacrificing ourselves and providing for the ministry of this church and the growth of God's kingdom. The greatest place that you can ever invest is the kingdom of God. Did you realize that? If you, if you follow our daily readings, uh, Psalm 103 today talks about how we're just dust. We're like a flower that blows away. Um, the truth of that is, is that God's kingdom is eternal. The stuff that we often invest money in now are temporal. When you go and buy something at the store, its end date has started from the point that you bought it. It's going to, it's going to like die eventually. It's going to come out, get out of date eventually. The kingdom of God will last forever. We know how the story ends. God wins. Satan is defeated. When you invest money into his kingdom, you're investing. It's like really the best investment you could ever make is investing in the kingdom of God. Now, what that means, I'm not a big percentage guy. I'm a cost guy. What does it cost you? And what does it sacrifice you to give this money? So if you make tons and tons of money and you're giving 10%, but it costs you nothing, then it, then it doesn't, it's not really generous. It's like, well, this is just some of my extras. Jesus tells a parable about how there, were, or not a parable, he actually watched it happen in the temple, about how one woman came and gave a very minimal amount of money. And then this Pharisee came and gave a, gave a bunch. And Jesus said, the woman gave more. And the disciples were like, what? You're clearly not good with math. And Jesus says, no, because that was everything she had. And for him, it was nothing if we have been served by a generous Jesus, by him coming to the sinful earth, and then dying for us in generosity, are we not called then to be a generous people who have been served by the greatest generosity the world has ever seen? I think so. You will never feel gypped by giving money to your local church or to the mission of God around the world. And we have elders now in our church that care about where your money is spent and where it's being stewarded. We do not go and buy brand new. You can ask Peter. This screen is annoying to have to set up every single week. Super annoying. It doesn't go together well. But I've told Pete, I said, well, unless we can get a really good deal on a screen, we're not going to get a new one. You can see our trailer out there. We could have gotten, gone and bought a brand new trailer for $3,000. The door would have come down perfectly. It would have been awesome. But Jeff was like, well, why don't we find a used one? And he found one on Kijiji. We went and bought it. And on one Saturday, three of us worked at making the trailer better. And still our door doesn't shut correctly. And we're okay with that because it stores our stuff. We don't pay anything to meet in this building. It's been given to us for free. So it's not like I'm saying we have enormous expenses that need to be covered. We have an $85,000 budget. At this time, we want to be able to give at least 15 or 20% of it away, start putting the money away for our next church plant. And all we're calling us to to do is to be generous and say, what does it cost me to truly give to this ministry? If you feel like the Holy Spirit is leading you to be part of a giver to this church, then on the back uh, table, there's a table there that has a stack of missional community primers it also has a stack of preauthorized giving forms if you have a regular income and you just pray about it and say god how much do you want me to give and he says i want you to give this percentage then write that number down put a void check to it give it back to me and then once a month that amount is drawn from your account If your income is a little bit more all over the place, you can give me cash. I can put it to where it actually says Calvary Baptist Church on there because they take care of our finances. We've applied for our own charity status. We're hoping to get it by January. Um, But all of your gifts and donations are tax receivable, um, which is actually a little bit of, of a benefit from the government teaching every single one of us. Guys, this isn't me saying you need to go and give money to me in Church of the Ward. This is me saying if you're not obeying God, in the level of generosity out of your life, then you're disobeying him if you call yourself a follower of Jesus. This is an issue of obedience, and that's what it is. And I can honestly tell you that the money that you will give to this church, if that's where God leads you to give it, will not be spent unwisely. Because I'm giving money to this church too. So if the money that I'm giving, I know is being used unwisely, that's the case we believe everything we have is from god every single amount of money that comes in on a paycheck or a disability check it's all from jesus so who are we to just give away a portion of it so his kingdom can flourish it's absolutely amazing guys and as i said i just don't want to be i don't and i think that's fair right why should i go ask other people to give us money when we ourselves aren't being generous that just seems a little absurd and so the desire is for us to get to a place where we can support ourselves and then guess what we can do bless other church plants that need help that's amazing That's so, so cool. Um, And lastly, action. Everything that I've said today cannot happen if we don't take action. So just be praying and thinking about that. And then lastly um, is to embody our identity as Church of the Ward. Um, We initially started with a vision to reach the ward, St. Patrick's Ward neighborhood with the mission of Jesus, the message of Jesus. And he took it bigger than that really, really quickly. And so now we're like, having impact in the East City through Jesus. Like, it's absolutely amazing. And so what we've become is really a church of the wards, but we will continue to be called the church of the ward. And why we are called church of the ward, one, church, that need, word needs to be redeemed in our culture. We're a group of people, which is why it's church of, because we're made up of that particular ward. And then ward, yes, St. Patrick's known is known as the ward in our city, but our, as you now can see with uh, the election going on, there's multiple wards across our city. So really what we've become is a church, you are going to be the church of that particular ward, and as our churches multiply, and as our missional communities multiply, uh, we'll just name those missional communities geographical. So maybe one day, by the grace of God, we'll have a um, south-end uh, Church of the Ward missional community. Maybe we'll have a west-end. Maybe we'll have a downtown. And then they'll, I guess we're taking the way of street names, East City Trailbrook. Like, it's going to get out of hand, but praise God for that. Um <laughs> Because his message will be going forward, and we're just going to, be praising him about that. So guys, like, I know this has been a little bit longer, but today's the longest of the whole vision series, but I just needed to set that up for us. This is the result, Acts 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Scattered. The Holy Spirit, what happened? It multiplied. What I want us to do now is oftentimes we don't make room in our lives. It takes some time to pray. So what I want to do is just over the next five minutes is I want to give you the time right now, as you've heard God's word preached, to pray about all that I just said. Or pray about something that God has just really laid on your heart about what I said. If you're somebody that's never made a personal decision to follow Jesus, I want to invite you to do that this morning. If you've never said, Jesus, like this kingdom that I'm hearing about sounds awesome. And believe me, it is awesome. We pray and we thank God for forgiving our sin. We confess that to him. We repent and then we believe. If you've never done that, then here's the opportunity this morning to do that for the very first time. And all that involves you doing with God in this time of prayer saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I confess that I am a sinner and that you save me. And Jesus, my king, I want to follow you into your kingdom. You don't have to have everything figured out. None of us here do. So don't put boundaries on yourself that we haven't even put on ourselves. And you can do that. Uh, Pete's going to play some quiet synth stuff behind this, but just take this time to be quiet, to be still. Um, If you are part of a missional community or would like to be part of a missional community as an adult, on the back table, you need to grab a little packet that's called our missional community primer, and you're going to be going through it with your missional communities over the next six weeks, identifying what your mission is for the following year. So each adult needs one of those. If you don't want to participate in that, um, please don't take one. But if you do and you want to find out more of who we are at Church of the Ward, that packet is perfect for you to help you identify what it's all about, okay? And then for missional communities, at your family dinner nights, you're going to be going through the questions that are on each of those days' things. We've been a little bit longer today, I realize that, but this is all, I think, important stuff for us moving forward. Let's just take five minutes just to be still, silent, pray individually, and then I'll come up, dismiss us, and we'll get the kids involved and maybe drink some more coffee and clean up. Thanks.